Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to another episode of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On this half-time in the Champions League semi-finals edition of the pod, they don't think it's all over in Madrid. Will the memo reach Villarreal on time for Liverpool to put one hand on the trophy in the second half? And doesn't winning your domestic league make up for being knocked out of the Champions League? Then why are the long faces at Bayern and PSG? What a cracker! What a cracker, Lash, at the Etihad this week. Uh, 4-3 ended... It was amazing, and yet it does beg a question about Real Madrid or two, doesn't it? It, well, it was a fantastic game, and I was watching it thinking, you know, as, as the game progressed, you know, you couldn't write this, you couldn't script this, you know, and when Manchester City were just steamrolling Real Madrid in the first half, there's no way they're just going to win by one goal here. But then, of course, it is exactly how you would script it if you know these two teams. <laughs> We've seen this so many times with Manchester City, with Pep Guardiola's teams at the stage of the tournament, that they have these games where they create a bunch of chances, but they don't put them away. And Guardiola's seen this before, which is why he was freaking out when Maris didn't past the Foden. You oh. might think that your team is playing so well, you're creating chances, you're totally on top. Why are you freaking out about one missed chance? It's because he knows 3-0 is a much bigger lead than 2-0 and he knows these things can turn very quickly. And we know with Real Madrid, they have this incredible ability, which I think is something that goes almost beyond the 11 players on the pitch. It is institutional in the club that in these sort of moments, even if they're not at their best, they find a way of getting it done that their record their modern record in the Champions League is absolutely amazing um, famously they won four uh, pretty recently uh, with Zidane and with Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo and all those guys but in that period they went through an eight year stretch of getting to the semi-finals or better every season which is remarkable when we're talking about knockout competitions. They just get it done. And and I think that there's something about the self-fulfilling prophecy there. The players know the legacy of this club and it's easy to write it off as hubris. Sometimes it is hubris, but, but it, they do have a remarkable ability that when the backs when their backs are against the wall and when they're against a team that was clearly better than them on the day, they just find little ways of staying in the game and if you get half a chance, you know, they, they make something happen. It always is always about managing the occasion as well as playing the actual game, isn't it? And I guess that's what they do better than anyone else. I mean, you know, you go back to the first Zinedine Zidane spell in charge and those three in a row, 2016, 2017 and 2018 that they won. There are so many scrapes in those. It's unbelievable. You know, I think... When when we look at you know great teams of European Cup history, so you look at um, Real Madrid's first team in the in in, in the fifties that won the won the first five editions. When you look at um, 
Ajax three in a row, when you look at Bayern three in a row in the 70s, you know, you, I think time makes you forget the little, the little scrapes. I mean, even, I guess, Benfica winning twice in a row in 61 and 62, you don't forget what they went through at Tottenham in the second leg of the semi-final because Bella Gutman talked about it and his words carry extra weight. But you know what? I think sometimes we can gloss over... Like when you look at Zidane taking over in 2016, they lost 2-0 away at Villarreal in the first leg of the quarterfinal. Then you go forward, there are a couple of um, games at the Bernabeu where Bayern pushed them to the absolute limit and nearly knocked them out and probably should knock them out. There's um, the game where uh, after after Real Madrid won 3-0 in Turin, they're 3-0 down in the second leg at the Bernabeu and you know, there's the Ronaldo penalty mm. and the been with a heart comments and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for heart comments and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, Real Madrid have been through so many of these situations. Well, they've been through a couple of them this year already, haven't they? Mm. With with PSG and, um, and Chelsea. Games that they shouldn't really be getting through. And that and they does find a way, yeah. But but you know, it does it does feed the confidence. It does feed the the belief. It's the belief that. The impossible is possible. Yeah, almost. Or the almost I, I, I impossible. I think it really matters, and I think it's something that I think it drives a, a mutual acquaintance of ours, Jonathan Wilson, insane, because he <laughs> obviously one of the things he does as a writer, and he's an amazing writer, and he's really good at it, is identifying how sort of trends and systems and tactics have sort of changed football and everything. Like, he's amazing at that. But one of the weird things about Real Madrid is that even in that period when they won uh, four Champions Leagues in five seasons and they kept getting to the semi-final, there was no great tactic. Like there was no great system. It's it was, chaotic, isn't it? It, it, yeah. it? Yeah, and they were often not a great team. And we see this in the fact that in this eight-year stretch where they got to the semi-final or better every season in the Champions League for eight years, it's remarkable. They only won two league titles. Which is like, why, why, how can you, you know, consistently be among the last four in the Champions League, but only win two league titles in that period? It seems very strange, but I think it's because, you know, a, a brilliant system, as we see with Pep Guardiola, who basically wins the title almost every year, wherever he goes. A, a great system like that will win you a, a league title because, you know, over thirty-eight games, you will you will get there. But I wonder if there's something about when you build a collective, where everything is focused on being a cog in the machine and being part of the collective. Maybe you end up with a group of players who are maybe not used to taking the individual responsibility that you sometimes need in these more chaotic settings, right? And, and that's the defence. Well, in, in it's defence. It's Courtois, like you yeah. like you mentioned. Well, no, I mean, I think Sergio Ramos has been a huge part of this of course, club's history of, of sort of mastering these chaotic moments, but also. Also, like, he's the master of surfing chaos, isn't he? He really is. And, and yeah. contrast that, and I don't want to dig him out because he's really good at what he does and he's a crucial cog for Guardiola, but Laporte for the second goal, for the Vinicius run. Like, yes, Fernandinho, who shouldn't be playing right back, they're unfortunate with all the injuries and he sort of makes a mistake and, and Vinicius has a free run. But he's got, he's got a half a football field for the, the the right side or the center half on that side, Laporte, to just move out. If that was if that was Sergio Ramos, he would have clattered him. He would have moved out to the side and just taken Vinicius out. So like we're we're putting a stop to this right now. Uh, but but no one sort of takes charge of these situations. And I, I wonder if that's why Guardiola's teams sometimes don't quite go all the way in, in the Champions League because when the collective, which serves them so well over thirty eight games in the league, and and they have remarkable results and they. 
beat all the records. When the when something goes wrong with the system, the players aren't used to just taking charge of the situation and doing something. Whereas Real Madrid is totally the opposite. Like they don't really have a system as such in the same way to lean back on. But they have huge individual players who in moments can turn things in their favour. Like they were not the best team here by a mile, mm. but they they go back with just one goal down and still have a chance again through. Oh, thankfully, they don't have the, the curse of Bella Gutman that Benfica have. <laughs> oh, you mentioned him, so I had to bring that up again. But um, the questions that I'm looking at and thinking about is, first of all, you've got a goalkeeper that's made more saves than any other goalkeeper in this Champions League. 44 saves compared to, what, 15 and 16 for Alisson. Mm. And, um, of course, um, I think it's 16 for Alisson, is it? 15, 16 for Alisson. And, of course, um, for Man City, their goalkeeper's made about uh, the same amount of saves. So, compared to them, he's had to work a lot more. So, the question mark... Save them a lot, yeah. Yeah, but the question mark's about the defence, isn't it? The defence is kind of all over the place. Otherwise, how have they got those two goals down very quickly in the first few minutes? Just because Manchester City are a lot better than them. I think because like Paris Saint-Germain weren't able to do that um, if you go back to the, the first game. Now, part of that's Courtois, part of that's the, the, the finishing. But Real Madrid, particularly in the first half of that, were far more solid as a, as, as a unit. And, you know, you have to say that's partly the difference between Manchester City as a team and, and, and Paris Saint-Germain as a team. I don't know about you, Don, though. I was thinking in that first 20 minutes when Manchester City are absolutely blowing them away, where does this leave Ancelotti? Because mm. Carlo Ancelotti has had, by any stretch of the imagination, a great season. They're on the brink of winning the the, the Spanish title, which they'll probably see over the line this weekend. As Lars says, that is not an every season occurrence for them. And yet, I mean, I know there's always the feeling that, you know, you're, a, you're always one or two bad results away from trouble at, at Real Madrid. But if you look at some of the results and some of the way that big games have gone over the last little while, you look at the home leg with... Chelsea and that would have cast a huge shadow over the season I mean it kind of does anyway because they were extremely lucky to get away with that then you look at the 4-0 defeat of the Bernabeu in El El Clasico of course doesn't mean much in the context of the league but El Clasico always means something if they can't get through this semi-final, or the way I was looking at it is when they were 2-0 down in yeah. double quick time. If this becomes if a hammering, end, if, if this becomes a humiliation. Yeah, if they end up losing this 4 or 5-0, yeah. where Which does this lead, lead Ancelotti? Because yeah. the, the thing is, you, you were touching on it before, Lars, about how they, they don't win the league every season. It's, it's not just about the team. It's about the priorities of the club. Mm. And, you know, the, the club have been quite open for probably three decades about the fact that the Champions League is more important to us. So this predates the current, you know, Juventus, Paris Saint-Germain getting obsessed with the Champions League and maybe feeling they surpassed domestic football. Real Madrid have always felt that. They've always felt that the Champions League is the most important thing. So it will always be a measuring stick for them more than it will be for, for everyone else. And Ancelotti's not got the best team in it. And and, it's, and it seems almost ludicrous now, after everything that's gone on since. If you remember, after the first leg against PSG, there were all kinds of noises coming out of Madrid that like Florentino Perez is furious and was thinking about sacking Ancelotti and and wanted mm. wanted Pochettino in. So after after that one game, and uh, a few weeks later, here we are, Real Madrid again, very nearly humiliated, but they stayed in it. 
They have every chance still of getting to the final. They're going to win the league. Uh, Pochettino's on his way out. Um, yeah, straight Last, on. I've got a question for you, right? Weekend, um, they need one point to mathematically secure the title. Playing Espanyol at the Bernabeu, do you rotate? I mean, my my thought is they won't rotate because Carlo Ancelotti will have a slightly different plan for taking on Manchester City. In the, well, he needs a different plan for looking at Manchester City in the second leg. And he has used these games in between the two legs of the previous ties against Chelsea and Paris Saint-Germain to sort of, I don't know, put flesh on the bones in terms of his Champions League plan. Mm. I, I mean, you, you saw Benzema pull up in the second half. I, can they risk him? No, no. I, I think. I mean, there's rotation and there's rotation, right? Mm. Um, I'd be surprised to see them change. You know, massive, massive parts of the team. But at the same time, well, they haven't got a deep enough squad to do that for a start, have they? Starting Benzema in this game would be a wild decision. I mean, really, mm. that wouldn't make any sense. And I also think starting Modric would be weird, mm. uh, given how important he is. Given that he's not, he's not a child anymore. Might look like one still somehow, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, he's not he's not that young. So you got to arrest him a little bit. Uh, I, so so a few changes I think you make, but, but it's it's I guess it's about for him. It, Real Madrid is so much about moments, as we said, and it's also about creating. Uh, it would be very bad for Ancelotti. I mean, even if they do end up winning the the league, if the sort of presumed title celebratory it's not if it's a win, though, isn't it? Yeah, no, they will. Uh, but but if the sort of presumed title celebratory party at home this weekend against Espanyol becomes like uh, a goof, <laughs> and they end up like losing the game for some reason, even if he's rotated, and if that makes sense, uh, I don't think that would be a very good position for him to put himself in. So I suspect, uh, like okay. you said, a pretty strong team, but a couple of guys, the slowly important older guys, you've got to rest shortly. Look before we leave this subject, we have to say one word about the top goal scorer in this Champions League, which is Karim Benzema. And, uh, well, he scored a beauty from a penalty. He scored two decent goals, but the penalty, I think, was uh, sublime. We weren't expecting that, were we? No, but especially when you missed your last two. It's been said elsewhere. I missed two in one game against, you know, two-thirds of a Palermo against Osasuna. It was amazing. But I actually thought the first goal, which... I mean, it wasn't even really a chance, was it? Yeah, semi-chance at the very most. But yeah, but that was what, a peach of the two for you, for you, yeah, Andy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, that that's a. Uh, it, it's not even. I, I was thinking about this as well about the, sort of the undoing of of Guardiola. I know that's not what we're focusing on, but like how he's constructed these, these technically brilliant players and has constructed this amazing system, and they're racking up league titles and and points totals for the record books and stuff. You know, you do everything right. And then in this game, you're undone by like a hopeful cross that that, that lands to, to Benzema in a situation where like maybe a better fullback than Zinchenko would have gotten on the right side of him. But anyway, it's a really difficult finish. And Benzema just sort of swings a leg at it and it goes in. And like all your best plans are kind of undermined by, by this by this nonsense. I mean, if you're Guardiola, this must be absolutely infuriating. As a supporter of football, of course, it was a fantastic game. As a manager of Real Madrid, I think I have to take in consideration that we scored three goals and that is that was really important, but we didn't defend so well. Let's talk about the other semi-final now, uh, Liverpool versus Villarreal at Anfield. Uh, where would you rather be? Would you rather be in Villarreal's position going into the second half of this uh, semi-final or would you rather be in Real Madrid's position? Um, 
Real Madrid's yeah, you'd, you'd by like, a million you'd, miles. You'd rather be in Real Madrid's, but th- th- that is not just a manifestation of the result. It's the tools they've got to take on the job in the second leg. Uh, I, I think that's the thing. Um, I mean, we've seen a, a lot of chat about um, Villarreal and the, their approach, and I feel it's kind of been caricatured a little bit. It's something we talked about on, on, on the ramble earlier. Um, but the plan... I think is a reasonable one. And, you know, they didn't end up like losing 4-0 or getting shunted out of the the, the, the tie or whatever. I mean, I spoke before the game about how when stuff has gone wrong in previous bits of the Champions League knockouts, they haven't panicked. And they didn't panic last night. Okay, they were way second best. But you know what? When they conceded those two goals in three minutes, you think it could lead to an avalanche and it didn't. They, they, they reset... That's a hang on a little bit, but they're still just about in this tie. I guess the fact is, A, they're playing Liverpool, who are obviously terrific. B, I wonder how close Gerard Moreno is because they could really do with him Mm, in the second mm. leg. And you know, we were talking about resting players, Lars. I think if he's like 85, 90% fit, you've got to risk him. Yeah, if 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 he can walk for the second leg, you gotta no because he makes a big difference. And I think uh, comparing this performance via Villarreal to the games they played against Bayern, against Juventus, they actually defended reasonably well here. I mean, if you go away to Liverpool and you come away having conceded one goal that was a deflected cross and one that was like at three inches away from being offside, you've done a lot of things right defensively, I think. It's just sometimes it doesn't quite go for you. Mm. But the thing they weren't able to do was hit Liverpool on the counter in any meaningful way. The, the Liverpool, let's just face it, Liverpool are an incredibly good football team. And then they did a really good job just sort of stopping those turnovers and, and they they weren't able to get it going, but this is where I think Moreno plays a big part, not just as a, as a striker and a goal scorer, but as someone who helps them get out when oh. they're pushed back and, and helps them set up those counterattacks because they really struggle to do that. Uh, Parejo, any time they try to involve him and have him play passes like he did for the, the goal against Bayern, um, he just couldn't do it. You know, He didn't have the space. Uh, Liverpool were all over them. So I think the big disappointment from Villarreal's perspective, they've, they've gotten a lot of criticism for their approach, which I think is a little bit misguided because I think you're mixing up concept of ex- an execution here I think mm. the concept is absolutely fine because yeah. this is how they've succeeded before in this competition but they weren't able to, to execute a big part of it which is the counter-attacks and they weren't able to do that. What is in their favour of course is that they haven't lost a home fixing European competition since 2018-2019 in the Europa Cup against Valencia but it's not all down to Unai Emery but he doesn't seem to get the credit for what he does do in this season. It's been amazing. They've got further than they've ever gotten before. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I kind of feel, Dotton, that before this game, he was overpraised. And then after it, certainly in Immediately the English media, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've gone back to the default, well, you know, he failed for it's PSG, exactly he failed for, for Arsenal, Arsenal <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But but it comes down to this insistence we have on viewing this in entirely binary terms that you're either a good manager or a bad one or not even binary maybe one out of ten you're either a ten out of ten manager or you're a two out of ten man like 
that's not how human beings work. That's not how people mm. work. Like you're good in some contexts and, and, and good in others, this right? It's football, though. And you're no, only but, as good but, as but your but, last couple of matches, aren't you? Well, yeah, and, but that's just a general sort of observation about the, the, the stupidity of some of the observers, I'd say. But like when it comes to Unai Emery, he has a certain skill set that makes him perfect for certain teams. Like, you know, the, the man knows his way around a two legged European tie. <laughs> I think the history will, will show. But he has a, t- a way of playing. Like his fun- football is fundamentally reactive. It's all about stopping the opponent uh, doing what they're doing and and if you want to like hypothetically take charge of one of the big teams in one of the leagues where you have to where it's about winning 8 out of 10 games instead of winning 7 out of 10 games I'm not sure his approach would be very successful yeah I mean you look you look at them this season when they were getting criticised in the first half of this season for their poor league form actually it wasn't a million miles away from last season when they only lost like one competitive game before Christmas a lot of those were draws Hmm. a lot of the games were draws before Christmas this year but the thing is they didn't have Moreno they didn't have Chukweze. And those players make an enormous difference, especially for a club of this budget and this level who aren't an elite club. Now, I tend to think that he's better not at an absolute elite club. And I think we've we've seen that. I mean, whoever was going to succeed Arsene Wenger at Arsenal was, was going to find it tough. But I still think he wasn't the right coach for them. I still think he wasn't the right coach for, for, for PSG. I do think, though, that he's kind of... He's found his perfect spot in terms of the size of the club, in terms of the lesser pressure, mm. but also the fact that he's got authority, he's listened to, he's not going to have elite players turning his back on him. And Neymar never wanted a bar of him, which was obviously a huge problem yeah. for, for things. And I know we'll have our own judgments in on Neymar, but as a coach at an elite club, getting through to the senior superstars is is a big thing. There aren't superstars at Villarreal. And what you have as well is you have this perfect confluence where basically they have quality players and experienced players who can not only understand the system, but interpret it to their own ends on the pitch as well. I think the fact that he really trusts those players, you can see that from the way they got through those two rounds against Villarreal and Bayern and the way he's not throwing the baby out with the bath water after this game. But I think also the issue of dealing with superstars, which again is a challenge if he was to go to a bigger club, is that, I mean, from what we know of his methodology, famously, he does a lot of video analysis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> former, is that why they for, don't rate him? No, no, but before, for, no, I'm getting, I'm getting okay. to something. Uh, the, he does an awful lot of video analysis, takes a very long time. Joaquin famously joked, you know, about yeah, he was very, very good, but he wouldn't want to spend any more time with him and this sort of thing. He's been described as slightly annoying <laughs> by former players. Is that why they don't rate him? Because he's very meticulous, right? And it's a lot of video analysis, a lot of very careful tactical stuff on the training ground. None of this go out and express yourself. Like it's very meticulous, and a lot of it is geared towards stopping the opponent and having the exact right shape for the next game, uh, stopping them getting space in the areas where they want to create things. That sort of stuff. Which, if you're Villarreal and your squad is good players, but a lot of players who have failed elsewhere, who might be in a sort of slightly weird place in their careers, a lot of them will go along with that and say, you know, mm-hmm. we're we're happy to to watch, you know, uh, the. Unai Emery's Videodrome for hours and hours uh, if it helps us 
potentially beat Bayern away from home. You know, this sort of thing. It's fine. But if you rock up at Paris and you're trying to like get Neymar to go along with this stuff, you know, that's going to be tricky. Basically, children need entertaining and now he's dealing with adults. <laughs> Maybe. But, I mean, t- 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 talking about children, I know Lash has already called me stupid um, in, in a very <laughs> I, nice I, I and gentle so. way. No, well, in terms of, you know, what I said about your last two games, you're only as good as. But ah, no, you, well. did it, you did it in a good way. No, 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 no. I meant other people. <laughs> I, no, no, no. Oh, you! I have to include myself in that because I'm one of those You're, other people. The, the but, curse of the host is that you have to play devil's advocate. And, thank you. know, you. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with this. I I mean, I've been on that. the other side of the table. I do appreciate that. But I do, you will call me super stupid now because I should have said they have been beaten this season by Man United at home. Um, but in terms of knockout stages, yeah. they do seem to be imperious. What has... Unai Emery got to do then to overturn this 2-0 deficit when they go back to uh, Villarreal to play? Well, starting starting the game like they started the home leg against Bayern would be an enormous start to that because they... Front foot, front foot basically. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but, but you know they're always going to have a level of control. Um, they need the right attacking players to do that. Uh, like I said, I don't think they can do it without Gerard Moreno. And I said before this, this tie, how are they going to score at Anfield? And that proved to be like fairly prescient, I think. Um, but in terms of the the team effort they managed to to, to go all over Bayern in, in, in that first leg, I mean, Bayern, Bayern weren't at it. And it's hard to imagine Liverpool struggling like that. But I think if, if there's to be a template, that has to be it. And that's why Moreno is so useful. As Lars was saying, is the conduit to bring other people into play. So you ended up with Capu in the penalty box. You ended up with Coquelin in the penalty box at, at certain points. They were able, like without ever playing recklessly, they were able to attack as a team. Mm. If they can do that in the second leg, that at least gives them a chance. They have to take that chance. They have to, they have to be a little less cautious than, well, to be honest, than Emery teams habitually are. Shook's way! Shook's way! You have the Bramlak al Almani! Via Real! Damarosur al Almania! Via Real! Illil al Royal! Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Now, there's one subject that we should discuss. Again, I think that this is going to be uh, controversial at the very least. At least this will be a heated conversation, and I've got skin it's in It's been this heated game, already. Right? No, you call this heat. <laughs> when did you get to this one? Because it does seem as if um, PSG and Bayern Munich, who are two of the best teams in Europe and have won their domestic leagues, aren't that bothered about being champions in their own nations. They're more bothered now about being knocked out of the Champions League without getting to the stages that they're used to. You, you Why know, is that? You know what? These were... It was weird to see two of the biggest teams in Europe seal their leagues and it to be essentially a bit joyless. Okay, you had the beer throwing at Bayern as, as, as you normally did. But it there was a sense of relief there, I think, on Julian Nagelsmann's side. But so much of the chat afterwards was the future. What happens next? And, you know, you're unused to seeing Bayern with a little bit of trepidation. Of course, part of that is the contractual situations of Lewandowski, who said he didn't know whether the club still wanted him or not after the, after the game. And Neuer, Müller, uh, Serge Gnabry, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the fact that they're going to have to move forward and partly rebuild the squad, the fact they're still licking their wounds after going out to EAL. The situation at PSG is, is, is different because they don't just need a re-up like Bayern do. They are on the brink of a full culture change. Mm. And the resistance to that culture, you saw after the 1-1 draw Lance that got them the, 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 the title officially, in the... The Ultras Collective of Paris had written a, a statement beforehand saying, we're not going to be celebrating the title with the players. We're going to be celebrating it outside the ground because we're the only ones who deserve to wear this club's colours this season. Now, I realise that the Ultras don't represent all Paris Saint-Germain fans. Uh, and that that is a... That is part of the disconnect, really, isn't it? The fact that you have this traditional club that, you know, was the the host of much passion, mm. particularly in the, the, the 90s, and then this huge global corporate entity. But I think the huge global, global corporate entity bit is starting to realise that actually it's not getting us where we want to go. But just to see the, the league treated as, oh, well, we won it, but... What does it really mean? Especially on this weekend where, you know, Bayern win 10 in a row, where Red Bull Salzburg win their ninth Austrian title in a row. Okay, at a slightly different level, but it's part of the same homogenization. PSG, 8 out of 10. Is it perhaps a case of them just being too complacent, particularly the fans? So Andy talked there about the ultras. Well, they're just so used to it now, aren't they? Well, I would separate, they be bothered? I would separate these cases a little bit. Like, like, 
Yeah, they should be. P- P- PSG is a fully ridiculous situation because you have a situation where you have one club who pays out, you know, close to half of, of the wages. So, so, oh, so around 40%, isn't it? Yeah, 44. Of, 44% of, of the division. Of yeah. all the salary that's paid out in the entire division comes from PSG. It's ludicrous. And it's got nothing to do with football. It's got nothing to do with, with the, the history of the, the club or anything. It, it, it's just a PR exercise by their owners. This is the only thing it is. And, and it's completely distorted that league to the point where it's not almost not even a sporting competition, which is a shame because there's a lot of interesting things happening in Liga if you look at the other teams. Uh, but PSG is this sort of weird uh, monstrosity that, again, it's got nothing to do with football. And I think for, from the Ultras' perspective, I can't speak for them. I don't know any, I don't know any of them. They I don't know how they bored. But, but I do wonder, like you said, if you're the, the guys from the Bonniers who sort of supported Paris when they were and still, I guess, a kind of an upstart, but a sort of like a rough and ready sort of club this is not what they want their football club to be like they, they become like almost a symbol of everything that's wrong in modern football a like superstar the, showroom basically yeah, yeah. should they be in the same league then should they be in league I'm, I'm not trying to go into the sort of super league conversations although you could go there with this no but, no but we just shouldn't have nation states treating football clubs as PR projects full stop I mean well, that, just should, that, should, that should be outlawed we've got somehow it. we've got it in our leagues they've got it all over I, I, think, I, think, yeah. I think the question is though how long does that interest last yeah. you know I think once we get the other side of the Qatar World Cup there's already been speculation that QSI might sell PSG now I gather that's rather premature but when it gets to a point where the PR benefits aren't really there and I think once a very vocal amount of the supporters are saying we're out on this we don't believe on this. It looks it looks horrible in front of the the, the world, you know. And the, uh, he had Neymar afterwards saying, "Well, if 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 the fans want to whistle me, they're going to get bored of it because I've got another three years left on my contract." <laughs> Which <laughs> I is kind of respect that. The, in the way. ultimate <laughs> Neymar thing to say, but yeah. again, it's it's endemic of the, the 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 fracture there is between what people local people certainly want to see and what what the club actually is at the moment. And you have to wonder what they're getting out of it. I mean, it's, it's interesting because if we go back a little bit, um, being sport was uh, from, from when they came in was one of the major rights holders of, of Ligue 1. And there was a lot of talk at the beginning, partly prompted by Jean-Michel Olas of Lyon of what we need is the league to be competitive. It's quite good foresight of Olas saying, well, you know what? Why don't we borrow some players off you that aren't getting in your first team? So at the time he was looking at like Mamadou Sacco, I think Clement Chantal, and saying. But surely they wouldn't be allowed to play against. Uh, yeah, they would PSG. be. They Why? Would, they would be. Well, if they've borrowed them on loan. Yeah, yeah. Would they be allowed to play against PSG then? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's true. that's that's league by league. It's it's only it's only, only in the only Premier in, League. It's only in England. That that's the thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know that. So, I mean, obviously there are conflict of interest mm. questions to be, to, to be asked about that. Yeah, it's not ideal. But I, I think it's it interesting, Ola saying, look, basically, if you've got this TV project that you want to sell and you turn it into a one-team league, no one's going to want to watch it. Mm. And maybe that's something that they need to reconsider. You know, if we want to protect the, you know, the... the, the Integrity, the integrity really. of the league. Yeah. The, the, if you want the, it to the, be the sporting a sporting competition of, of any merit whatsoever, yeah, it's exactly. To be it falls to me to go slightly too far. Exactly. But, you know, now, honestly, now, now I think I think 
in the Bundesliga is is slightly different because I think at the moment, because you've got this doubt at Bayern, because everything upstairs is changing, because there's no Hernes, there's no Rummenigge anymore, and Oliver Kahn's still got to show that he's got the chops to run the club. Um, Hassan Salahamazic, the sporting director, is not unanimously rated, I think it is fair to say. And they've got a bit of a mini rebuild to do. What you need is competitors who are ready to take advantage. Now, the question is, and I think if you look back over those leagues that Bayern have won, all but one of the 10 leagues, and you know, the season's not finished yet, but they are 12 points clear, all but one of those 10 leagues, they've won by double figures in terms of points. And that is an absolutely huge problem. And that tells you not just about Bayern's strength, but the other clubs can't get their ducks in a row. So you've got Dortmund who need more of a rebuild than than Bayern. They're a mess at the moment. You've got Leipzig. Will they ever change their model to bring in experienced players, which would maybe supplement the youth they have and take it onto the next level? They've always said that is against their model. Yeah. And then you've or got at, some or of at the least other... keep hold of them for a year or two longer, I think. And then you look at some of the other traditional challenges. Schalke, Werder Bremen... Hamburg have been so badly managed they're actually not even in the Bundesliga at the <laughs> yeah, moment yeah. They're, in the, they're in the second tier so for them it has to be about the other ones stepping up you yeah. know that there has to be you know there's there's not such there's a, there's a big budgetary difference but we're not talking about PSG and the rest like like we yeah. are in, in, in France the problem is the authorities in France have always seen PSG and the arrivals of Ibrahimovic Neymar, Messi, etc. This is our chance to go global. They've never really taken the view. What does this mean for the sporting integrity, as you put it, of the competition? Mm. And, I, and I think, again, without being a sort of a numbers bore, it does come down to money a little bit. Uh, and, and as we mentioned... Well, wages money, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, what you can pay in salary. And, and again... Looking at numbers, I mean, this is from the 1920 season. Should I go through numbers? Numbers is kind of boring, but basically, PSG's closest challengers can only pay around a quarter of what PSG pay in wages. Now, if the differential is that big, realistically, you're not going to be able to challenge over time. It just isn't possible. Whereas in the Bundesliga, yes, Bayern have a huge advantage, but but their wage bill, most recent numbers, it was around 300,000, 300, 300 million a year, whereas Dortmund's was around 200 million a year. So that is a big discrepancy, but it's not... It's not that big that I think Bayern... It's not comparable. Yeah. No. Bayern, a couple of bad decisions with terms of contracts, a couple of signings that won't work out, maybe a manager that doesn't work out, and suddenly, you know, they're, they're catchable. That You can you can do something but, there. But, but and, they, and, and, the others need to be ready to receive and, the opportunity. And they? I guess the example we would cite would be what's happened in Serie A last couple of years, where Juventus have made a couple of bad sporting decisions. Exactly. And and they also had a similar financial lead a couple of years ago, but they, they spent a lot of money on Cristiano Ronaldo which was to the detriment of developing the team. They made a couple of managerial appointments that didn't work out and suddenly they've been overtaken, at least for now. So it is possible in Germany, but but I think the challenge is it's not easy, but they have to look a little bit to themselves. And I think, going on a bit here, one of the issues they're finding in Germany the teams who are trying to challenge Bayern, I mean, if you go back 10, 15 years, the problem was that Bayern would nick their best players. The problem now is that before they get to that stage, their best players bugger off to England. Like, it's, it's becoming incredibly hard for them to build teams that can challenge, not because they're being, uh, you know, outspent by Bayern as much, but because their players are going off to England. If you reinvest the money, I, I don't think, or reinvest the money correctly, 
I don't think that's necessarily a problem. But th- that has been the, uh, that has been the question, really. I think particularly when you look at Dortmund, um, and it's something Sebastian Kael, their new sporting director, will have to sort out because, again, you know, maybe they're going to be in a state of flux. For for them, I think it might work to their benefit because they actually need a bit of a reboot, and Kael's already been in the club. But for them, the problem has been the wage spending, quite apart from the fee spending, on senior players in. Mats Hummels and Emre Can, who've just not been the correct buyers. And when, you, when your best players are a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old, that's your problem, basically, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so when we're looking at this sort of competitive issue in these European leagues, yes. I definitely think there's hope for the Bundesliga. I think you just you need the opponents to be a little bit smarter. You need Bayern to mess up with a couple of big decisions, and we could see what we've seen in Serie A. Uh, but Liga will remain a nonsense while PSG, in their current form, uh, are what they are. I think. Well, and I think you're right there. But then, what's the answer? Because you can't. You're not going to win the Champions League. It seems to me that what they're playing for is the Champions League. But you're not going to win it if you don't have much competition in your domestic league, are you? You're not going to win it. Do, do you do you think that's case because I, I think I, you can do I'm not yeah I'm not convinced that that's that's necessarily the case I mean it creates a a different type of pressure I think because being in that situation where you have to win every single week is a particular pressure and a particular standard okay you have the advantage in terms of manpower in terms of quality over those teams but you know you're, you're just not permitted to make any mistakes I don't feel that with Paris Saint-Germain it's, it's a lack of it's a lack of sharpness that is that is kipper in them in the back end of the Champions League it's a lack of a proper team build and it's a lack of the right mentality as we've seen time and time again in the, in the, in the back end of the, the, the Champions well, League you see what you're saying there if, if they can win the French League Ligue 1 um, with let's say a B side and they concentrate on the Champions League with their A side what you're really doing there is effectively bringing about a you know for France a Super League by default yeah I mean that that would be that would be possible but that's not the way they've they've, they've approached it so far um, I, I mean, I do think we have to say that other teams have been able to to, to win it. You know, Paris Saint-Germain weren't the champions last year. It was it was Lille. And I think if you compare it to, say... Which is so Italy, funny. It, it is, it's great. <laughs> but if you compare it to Italy um, and Germany, particularly over the last decade, for example, there have been more different champions in France than, than there have been in those those other nations. So it is possible. I just think because of the financial disparity, when PSG have one of those seasons where they win it by a lot, there's always a sense of it can't be done. And that was actually the same feeling that a lot of French teams had and it had a really negative influence on the quality of football there when, when Leon won seven in a row and obviously they weren't nation state funded if it's a different situation they were richer than the other clubs and when you get into that sort of cycle where there's a perpetual winner I do think it affects the way that other clubs approach it No, I, I should temper my comments about Liga you're right there have been other winners I guess my point would be if you're spending that much more than everyone else you have to be spectacularly mismanaged <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> like, like historical levels of mismanagement to not win the league of course that is what's happened a few times so well done PSG for that <laughs> but, but I mean my general view of the competition remains 
Okay. At, at the end of the day, we we are where we are, and um, I, I think there's one thing that you did mention before, by the way, which mm. is that in in the years when other teams were able to win the French title, there was a lot more money swirling around. There's a lot less now because of the TV deals and so on. Mm. So yeah, that's the, a good the, point. Actually, yeah, the, the future doesn't necessarily look rosy for the other teams in league, um, whereas PSG will continue uh, at a pace. What can be done then? Because it seems to me like there has to be some legislation brought in to even the playing field. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels like we've been here before a, a little bit. I know people will talk about um, the possibility of playoffs and that's been discussed in the Bundesliga at, at, at some extent um, in, in the last year or so particularly. Um, salary caps, which I mean, we're far too far down the road for, for, for that to happen in France. And, you know, at, at the moment that like you've always had a really strict financial governing board in, in the French league, the DNCG, who, you know, have like not let clubs get away with anything. They've not let them get away with overspending. Now, of course, if you actually can meet those financial obligations and you can get your accounts right, it, it really stops the other teams taking unpalatable risks to, to catch up. But we have been in a similar situation before because, you know, going back to, I, I, don't, I don't know, 10... 20 years ago in, in, in French football before PSG exploded on the on this level, you had Monaco mm. who could pay their players tax-free salaries. And that has always been the case. And you know, we talked about that infamous like top 20 best paid players or top 50 best paid players or whatever mm. in, in, in Ligue 1 recently. Ben Yedder. Yeah, the, the <laughs> only two exceptions in like the, the, the top 20 that didn't play at PSG were Vincent Ben Yedder and Cesc Fabregas, who's I, not I, played I sh- since I shouldn't September. Ben Yedder is a very good player, but I don't really expect him to see him like near the top of the best paid in Serie You know what, Lars? I just can't work out why he left a competitive, always do well in Europe, Sevilla for Monaco. Yeah, it's hard, I just to, can't under, figure hard it out. to understand, isn't it? Um, but, but I think in terms of, if you're looking at like what could feasibly be done... I don't know how, what level we want to have that discussion on. Is it like, are we being totally utopian? I mean, severe restrictions on outside investment would be one thing, but that has to go hand in hand with a much more equal sort of distribution of income, right? Because mm. the problem with financial fair play across Europe was it was half a solution. Financial fair play will protect clubs from taking unnecessary risks and running themselves into the ground and big debts and stuff. But if you restrict the possibility of outside investment, what you're basically doing is solidifying the current order. The ones who are on the top and getting regular Champions League income will stay there because it's almost impossible to challenge them without that sort of external investment mm. that you've just outlawed. So if we were to make it much more difficult or even impossible to toss hundreds of millions into a football club by an external investor and, and say okay it's, a, it's prize league mon- prize money and TV money for everyone that's what we have to live off it has to be much more equally distributed and, than it is now. And and good luck getting the good big pl- clubs to, to go along with that. <laughs> so I mean the big uh, the big sort of circular thing that annoys me about the whole Super League chat, the big clubs will say, well, listen, we win the league every year. Like, this is pointless. We need a Super League. But but you win the league every year because of an ecosystem that you've brought into place. Like, if you were willing to share more, it would be more competitive. But obviously, they don't want to do that. 
Reminder that you can tweet us at any time during the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton, at Ibayo, at Andy Brassel and at Lars Severston. Uh, this is a tweet from Ron, which European sides would you... Oh, by the way, if you're a Burnley supporter, look away now. Which European sides would you... F- <laughs> oh, wait. Which European sides would you fellows consider play the worst football? I remember Michelle Vorm suggesting that every team in the Netherlands would try to play good football and that there was no Burnley equivalent. I wanted to know if this is the case elsewhere or if it's true. Not about Burnley, but about everywhere else in Europe. He's your Burnley expert. But listen, it's a kind of an unfair (laughs) question because most of the teams who play what we would call, you know, bad football do so out of necessity. Most of them do it because they, you know, they can't afford to buy the most talented players in the world. What is bad so, football anyway? Well, that's, 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 that's another thing. There's a, a lot of people who subjective. think the sort of hoofball thing is very exciting. I would say, I've got nothing against them. I fully respect what they've done uh, compared to the size of the club and everything. But I do find whenever I watch Getafe... <laughs> it's often unpleasant it might be just me having bad timing with the games I select or something but whenever I end up watching a Getafe game it is very frequently bilge but 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 now there is a Getafe diaspora because of course Jose Bordelas went to Valencia and to Valencia. Make, making them increasingly unwatchable as well yeah I mean they they did their level best to spoil the Copa del Rey final yeah. uh, they came very close to, to doing it of course they 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 took Betis the whole way to to, to penalties I, I mean the, the Bordelas example is 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 quite a good one but I, yeah I just I I don't really I don't as much as I am a snob I don't I don't feel super comfortable with it because yeah I'm from a small town in Norway like we were in the top division for like two years and and if we had to play rough football to get there and stay there I wouldn't I wouldn't give a toss like and no, neither should you if your if your team is overperforming and playing what like snobs on the radio will say is bad football sod them it doesn't matter yeah exactly I mean it's it always goes back to the Atletico discussion doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people find that totally unpalatable anti-football and, you know, Miguel was talking about it last week, particularly with the amount of money that they actually spent on, on players and wages. Yeah. But on, on the other hand, when Atletico are at their absolute best, so we're going back to what the, the 2013 Copa del Rey winners at the Bernabeu, 2014 champions and Champions League finalists, 2016 Champions League finalists, I found that that level of attrition, I found it quite exhilarating. So, yeah. So I remember speaking to a former sort of Bundesliga coach about this once, who's just in a sort of TV work setting, who said like he likes, he has no stylistic preference. He likes watch, he liked watching teams that had a plan and executed it well. And I kind of agree with that. Like watching yeah. a watching a collective that works to a plan and the plan sort of elevates the group to more than the sum of its parts and all that stuff. That's almost always good to watch, even if it is like a hoofball or whatever you want to call it. But sometimes... Getafe are hard to watch. (laughs) (laughs) So finally, a game of the week from each of you. And I know neither of you are going to suggest a game where there's a bad... Well, well, Getafe or Valencia or any of the other teams. I'm all about the beauty. I'm all about the beauty, Dot. And and you know what? I'm not going to treat you just to beauty. I'm going to treat you to beauty in League Up. Oh, go on then. I don't know where this is going. (laughs) Saturday Saturday night, uh, Rennes versus Saint-Étienne. Oh, I think it's a really interesting one. because We've all all gotten into Saint-Étienne because of you. It's it's not not where I thought you were going. Saint-Étienne. Because Rennes play the 
best football in the division. Mm. They're so good to watch. Um, so many exciting attacking players. Martin Terrier's having a brilliant season. Uh, Lovro Meyer's been great in midfield. Benjamin Bourgeois has, has been great too. It's too many good players to, to to name and they are on it. Like Last weekend, they played the derby against Lorient. They're 3-0 up. They get a player sent off. And it just doesn't make any difference. They're like, excuse me, we're steamrolling this team and we're going to get on with it. This is not going to mess with us. And they just they, they just go on and win 5-0. Now, they're going for a Champions League place. Saint-Étienne, who, are, of course, as you said, one of the traditional big names of France, they are really in the shit at, at the bottom. And they're looking at the stadium ban as well after uh, fireworks and flares and all that were thrown on the, the pitch last weekend as one of their supporters groups celebrated their 30th anniversary. Um Give us so, a but. A but in this. So is there a but? The the the, the but is that they are going to end up playing a, a few home games behind closed doors. So you may think it's a way to a great team. So they're going to struggle to get some points. They can't start picking and choosing. They are in big enough trouble. I mean, they're they're in the relegation playoff spot at the moment. So they could end up playing the home leg of that playoff behind closed doors. So why because, are you recommending it? Because of this stupidity. Sorry? Why are you recommending it? Why am I recommending the it game? it sounds like they're going to get served. Yeah. Bit of Abby no, they're, they're, they've, they've got to get a result. <laughs> on a Saturday they've, night? They've, 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 got, they've got to get a result, despite the fact they're, they're a much weaker team. So they're going to have to go for it. Um, they can pull out results against better teams, not on the form of the last couple of weeks, but they're going to have to up their game pretty quickly and you know Ren are, are going to make it difficult for them I think it's interesting if you're wondering what to eat with it yeah something I'm, spicy like I'm, the conversation we've had today well I'm I'm, I'm, t- <laughs> I'm taking you into the kitchen uh, because we're in the west of France for a bit of poulet à la breton so what you what, what, what you're going to do is you're going to dice the chicken and you're going to stew it in this mix of creme fraiche Dijon mustard mm-hmm. all the herbs that you want to go in so the idea is you cook that for the Saturday night and you have the leftovers on the Sunday when you're watching, presumably, Lars's game. Well, it's a good shout, Andy. I, I like that. I thought for sure you were going to go Marseille-Lyon, uh, but maybe no, you just, you're just you know more Lyon until, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> until further notice. Uh, no, that's I'm my... going cold turkey, not cold yeah. poulet. Uh, maybe that's where I should have gone. But no, um, I'm keenly aware because of the subject matter, uh, part three today kind of just descended into me shouting, eat the rich for 20 minutes. I mean, it's, it's not <laughs> ideal. I mean, I'm sorry about that. I grew, I grew up in a socialist country. Sometimes I can't help myself. But... Uh, on a similar vein, in the Bundesliga this weekend, I mean, Freiburg are still in the hunt for a Champions League place. I mean, yes. the, the title is pretty much sewn up now. It, it, it is very much sewn up now. They have literally won the title. They've thrown the beer everywhere. The Bayern are champions, fine. But Freiburg are fifth. And, and if we could get Freiburg with their, their, I was about to say their long-suffering manager, their long-serving manager, also long-suffering, <laughs> Christian Slyke. Again, this is one of the smaller budgets in the league. They keep finding, they keep losing their best players. They keep replacing them and finding ways to win. Uh, and, and, and they're up in fifth now with just a few games left to go. Two points behind Abe Leipzig, who are fourth. Um, they're further th- three points behind Bayer Leverkusen in third. So there's a real chance of them sneaking in for a Champions League spot. They're playing hard. Hoffenheim at the weekend. Listen, Hoffenheim-Freiburg is rarely game of the week, but I think if we're looking for exciting narratives near the end of the season, it would be absolutely amazing to have
have Freiburg in the Champions League. It would be a real achievement for that club, for the coach, for the players. And uh, I will be tuning into this to see if they can do it. It would be. And they've got an opportunity because both Leverkusen and Leipzig don't play till Monday. So they can put the pressure on them. Mm -hmm. And we'll be eating the leftovers from Saturday night. Football Ramble Presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.